What's going on, everybody? And welcome into the 85th episode of the Crazy One Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Stephen Gates, and this is the show where we talk about how to help you become more creative, become a better leader, create more innovative work, grow a stronger career, and a whole lot more. You can listen to all the shows, get the show notes, see my essential list of creative tools, and even get some Crazy One propaganda all at thecrazyone.com. That's the crazy and the number one dot com. Now, whenever you're on your favorite podcast platform, be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave a review. That way you get the latest shows whenever they come out and people know what you really think about the show. And finally, you've got any questions, you want to keep up with my general adventures doing this crazy thing that I call a job, or just get more content like this, you can always follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Now, you've been listening to the show for a while, and you're thinking to yourself, the hell's up with the new intro? I don't, I've just been thinking a lot about the show lately, wanting to change it up more, think more about what's the focus of the show, and, and do a few things like that. But you know what? Change is always a good thing, and you know sometimes... You just want to make sure that people are actually listening out there. Now, for today, I do a lot of shows about creativity. And I think that's because like, there are just so many different aspects that go into trying to do it well. I think the biggest variable in this whole process, the reason why I talk about it so much, is you. right? Like, People have all these different strengths and weaknesses, and there are so many other things that make the creative process unique. It makes it really unique for you. But those variations, I think, go beyond just your creative process. And they're a part of things like your leadership style, your presentation style. And one of the things we're going to talk about today, and today I want to talk about how do you give and how do you get feedback? Because feedback is such an incredibly important inflection point in the creative process. I think in so many ways it can make things a lot better. But I think in if done badly, it can make them a whole lot worse. And it's such a subjective thing. So in this episode, I want to talk about and really look at, like, honestly, what are some of the things? Because I think everybody knows, like, whenever you've gotten bad feedback, but I don't know if people have actually taken the time to think about why has it been bad feedback. I then, in, as an inverse, want to talk about how do you actually give good feedback? And what are some of the best ways to act on feedback whenever you really get it? And, and finally, just the importance of just sort of being deliberate with all of this. Because, like I said, it's such an interesting and such a complicated thing. But let's start with bad feedback. Because if you're like me, then that sort of bad feedback is something you've had to contend with for, for better or worse, you know, probably for your entire career. Because I think, like I said before, giving feedback on creative work is different than normal work, right? And, and that's really, it's the opportunity and it's the problem because creativity is subjective. So there's not a right answer. I've talked about this before about how two plus two equals burnt sienna. But I think as a, as a result of that, you know, the feedback that you get can be much more affected by things like personal taste, views, and, and even like just sort of personality hangups. Now, I, I honestly believe that I think most people don't know that they give bad feedback. I think that maybe they just are a little bit too self-absorbed. Maybe they're a little bit too insecure. Maybe it's just something that they've actually never thought about. It, and they've never put themselves on the other side of that relationship or thought about really what is their communication style and that maybe there's a problem that prevents that feedback from really being understood. Now, there are a few specific things that I think always make up bad feedback. I, I think I've gone back and thought about what does that look like whenever it's been in my career? I, I think about the teams that I work with 
And what does that sound like and look like for them whenever you can just sort of see the room droop, right? Like you can, you can see whenever it's not working. You can see whenever it's not in a really good place. And I think that there are these few things, these kind of six things that, that in my experience are the things that whenever this happens, there's always going to be problems. The, the number one biggest one, and I think a lot of people do this, and I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about it, is, and, and this happens a ton, especially if you're in a leadership position, like write this down, tattoo it backwards, you know, on your forehead or something, so you see it every day. But it, it's it's really whenever you sort of go from execution into leadership, you don't really learn how to trust your team. And a lot of a lot of everything that we do is about trust. And so if you don't trust somebody, what happens is that whenever you give them feedback, you tend to give them solutions and very, very specific direction. As in, this is what is wrong, go do this. Make it this color, make it this typeface. Do something. And in my experience, that is so damaging. It's so undermining. Because who wants to work for that person? It, it completely undermines my creativity. It completely gets rid of, of all the things that I think I'm really good at. And it just turns me into like a production monkey. Go do this, come back whenever it's done. And I think that that's the, the first part of it. That's not feedback, that's direction. And I think that's going to be a big one of the theme in here is that feedback should almost feel more like coaching than direction. So whenever we think about it mentally, just sort of hold on to that model and we're going to be able to come back to that. I think that the other thing that can happen with bad feedback is that it starts to really include personal likes and dislikes. Because here again, we touched on this just a minute ago, right? The problem with creativity is that there isn't a right answer to any problem. And so as a result, that subjectivity can come into the equation and cloud everything. And, and you can spot this from a mile away, right? When you hear things like I like or I don't like, that is always the case whenever someone is then putting their personal likes and personal dislikes into the problem. This is why, since this show started, I have continued to preach about why it is important to have consumers or other things as the central source of truth for your work. This is one of the main reasons why this becomes important, because it eliminates that possibility that feedback is going to include personal likes and dislikes. And again, this is one of these places where, as we've talked about research, as we've talked about so many of these other things, we need to fight that potential arrogance that we are our customer. We are who we are designing for. We're the designer. We know better than anybody. It's a balance, right? That's a constant theme on this show, that it is a balance, because you can go data blind and just do whatever the consumer tells you to, and then you wonder why your work comes out like crap. But at the same point, you need to understand that you are not the end-all, be-all opinion for everything. That there is a selflessness and a humility that needs to come with being really good at being creative. That can be difficult, and it's hard to know when and how to scale it. Whenever it gets out of control is whenever you start to hear feedback like that. And I think similar sort of, it's similar but different. In that I think another thing that I see whenever we start to get into bad feedback is that the feedback is directed to the designer, not the design. Because this is that, like I said, it's, it's, it's a nuanced sort of thing. But if you start hearing your layout, your choice of colors, instead of the layout or the choice of, custom, of colors, that's whenever it starts to really start to focus in, like I said, on the designer, not the design. Because that starts to make it feel personal. And I think that very much goes to the next thing is for me, the absolute worst feedback, especially at work, is whenever it gets and feels personal. 
It can never be a judgment. It can never be an attack. Because it can never be what feels like an indictment of your experience, your taste level, anything like that. Because, again, for me, whenever it gets personal, that is a real violation of trust. And it's not just bad for the work, but it is going to destroy your team and is going to make those people want to leave. Because what I want is I don't want people who are going to tear me down. I'm fine with honesty. I'm fine with transparency. But whenever it becomes personal, whenever it feels like it's an attack on me, an indictment of my skills or something like that, screw this place. Because that is a violation of trust, and I do not want to stick around for that. Because that is the delicate balance that we do with all this. And I think that's why feedback so often is that bridge where things get screwed up. Because it's the place where trust breaks down. Because we go from conversations about goals and things that are very, very clear to suddenly a subjective discussion about what do people like. And that becomes where it it becomes a real problem. And I think that, you know, part of feedback problems in, in some of these cases can be very personal. It's about how do you deliver it? How do you do those sort of things? It, it's a tonal aspect to the feedback. And that, that starts to take introspection. It starts to take about thinking about what do how do I communicate? How do I deliver a message? How do I do those things? And that's why it gets sticky, because now it's emotional, it's personal. But I think there's also some parts of feedback that are also operational, and they're more process-driven. A big one that I see is whenever feedback actually comes in too late, right? Like, that's horrible feedback, because, you know, it's one of those little things. But it is a process problem, not a personal problem. And because I think you need to be clear about what is the window for when you can give feedback. Because if you don't tell people that and they just think that every given moment, every given thing, whenever they walk down the hall and walk past that designer's desk and see something that that is a moment for feedback, that sort of chaos, that lack of hierarchy, that lack of structure will absolutely screw up your next iteration and your entire process because it's just chaos. We never have a moment to breathe. We never have a moment to think. We're constantly in this reactionary state of, okay, well, if every given moment can be feedback, Everything I do has to be thought out. It has to be done. It has to be because it could be judged at any moment. And whenever you're in that state, there's no room for creativity. There's no room for failure. There's no room for thought because everything is just, again, like I said, in this reactionary state. But that's the part of it, right? Is that you need to decipher what are the parts that are personal? What are the things that it is the person that's delivering the feedback that has the issue versus what are the things that maybe we are failing operationally? And that we are not being clear about how and when we want the feedback. And in both cases, it can be bad. But ultimately, the worst culmination of this, whether it's personal, whether it's operational, whether it's anything like that, is feedback that just leaves you feeling lost. Because, you know, if it's just a list of what isn't working, there's no direction, there's no understanding of the problem you need to solve, there's just a this is what's wrong, this sucks, I don't like it, you know, you you did something wrong, it's demoralizing. You feel lost. You, you don't, it's like, where do I go from here? Do, do I need to, you know, go do a different job? Like that design imposter syndrome jumps up and sits on your shoulder and that little devil starts whispering in your ear and all of a sudden you're in a free fall and you're in a spiral trying to figure out what it is you can do. And now all of a sudden you're dealing with personal demons and, and personal problems along with the work. But I think that's that's the ultimate thing is that if you ever give feedback to anybody and they sort of look like a deer in headlights at the end of that, if they look demoralized, if they if you sort of sapped all the energy out of them, you've failed. 
And it's not that, you know, they need to, and, and I get that so often, and I'll be candid, like, it really pisses me off. Because for me, it's a sign of weak leadership when people are like, oh, well, you just need to take the feedback and make the best of it. You need to go make it work. Like, for me, th- that that's a failure on the leader's side to be strong enough, to be creative enough, to be invested enough, to be the person that can show up and say, okay, look, like, yes, there's a problem. Yes, there's going to be honest. Yes, maybe there's even a tough conversation here, but we're going to build each other back up. We're going to find a way forward. Because it's just easier to say, here's what's wrong. It's your problem. Go figure it out. This is another one of these themes that keeps coming up of the they, right? They. They are they are the problem. They are the thing that is doing something wrong. It is not that I'm a bad leader. It's not that I have my problem. It's not that I give bad feedback. It's them. They aren't good enough. They aren't taking it right. They, they aren't looking at it the right way. And in the end, it becomes really demoralizing. So if that's sort of what bad feedback looks like, the next natural question for me is then what the hell does good feedback look like? And, and I think that whenever I started to think about good feedback, for me, it, it starts to really kind of fall into two different camps. Because I think that there is the part about how do you give good feedback? And the fact that if I'm going to talk to a peer, I'm going to talk to a team, I'm, I'm going to talk to a superior, like anybody like that. What, what are the things I need to think about so that I'm sure that I'm as constructive as creative, as open, as collaborative as I can be, and that I am additive to the process. I'm making things better and stronger for me being there. I'm not just being this sort of pointless pain in the ass that runs around pointing out everything that's wrong. But then there are two parts to that equation, because then there's the other part of, as the person who is receiving the feedback, how do you hear it? How do you act on it? And and how do you actually internalize that? Because I think that's the other missing piece for me. That's the Rosetta Stone that, that rarely in this conversation do I ever hear it being really talked about. Because so often we just talk about, well, here's what I don't like. Here's what bad feedback is. Here's what it is you should be doing. Even as I, again, did research for the show, tons about, tons of articles, essentially all saying the same thing about how do you give good feedback. But almost nobody kind of saying, okay, how do I receive it and hear it? But as we start to talk about what does good feedback look like, like what does it sound like? A lot of it goes back to the problem statements. Because if one of the problems that we talked about is that feedback focuses on the solution, then the antithesis to that, the, the response to that would be that you need to speak in questions, not in statements. Because, you know, look, if I want to be able to influence the work of my peers, of my team, again, of my boss or something like that, then I have to develop the trust with that person. And yeah, it'd be simpler to just speak first and to say what it is that wrong, to, to give them the answer. And like I said, just to speak in solutions. But it it hurts the work. It, it's not, nobody wants to be a part of that where it's just like, here is my definitive opinion and prove me wrong. It's a very black and white sort of statement to be in. It's a very emotionally fraught kind of place and it crushes creativity, crushes the discussion because it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm right. Somebody challenged me. So I think that, you know, what, what we need to be able to do is whenever we have these conversations, you've got to give people space to work out the problem on their own. You've got to let them bring their experience to, to leverage all the smart people that you've hired because I think that tends to be the secret sauce whenever I look at all the companies that everybody tends to love, the Facebooks, the Nikes, the Apples, the Googles, the, like whatever the company is you love, they do this crazy thing where they hire really smart people and then they trust them. And it's the trust them part that I think most people don't do. But it also gives you the ability to show up and instead of saying make the button this color, instead of saying do this or do something like that, what you do is you show up and you say, you speak about things in questions. In, in problems, in insights, in areas to explore. Because what you're doing is you're giving them something specific to go work against. 
but you're leaving them enough space, enough freedom, and giving them the respect to bring their own approach to the problem. So that whenever you look at it, instead of saying, make it this color, do this with the button, say things like, this is the problem that we're not getting solved, right? I, I, the eye line through this isn't working. I don't understand what my next step should be. That Those are the sort of things where it's like, look, what I need you to do is to go solve that problem and come back with multiple different ways of doing it. Because most of the time, the team will surprise you. No matter what the maturity is of your team, no matter what it is you're doing, the th in my experience, the team will surprise you because they're going to come back with that moment, with that challenge, and to be able to then look at, okay, great, how do we start to solve this problem? Now, you may be sitting to yourself and saying, Steve, would love to trust the team, would love to be able to do that. Doesn't always work. And I would say you, dear listener, are absolutely right. And to go back and refer to the episode that I did on the 10-80-10 rule, 10% of the time, leave the team completely alone. 80% of the time, speak in insights and problems. 10% of the time, whenever I am out of time, patience, political capital, or budget, and like we just have to get something done, where then I am going to tell them what it is to do. But it's the balance in that. It's the two nuclear options, the leaving them alone and telling them what to do are only 20% of my total time. And that's basically because something has gotten so screwed up that that has to happen. But again, I think that that turns into a coachable moment about how do we not end up there again. And a lot of that also then comes back to understanding that feedback should not be one dimensional. Because for me, whenever I try to think about good feedback, whenever I try to think about how my responsible steward of my own opinion, of my position, of my title, of all of those sort of things, because to some people, right, like design can feel like this subjective thing, right? Like where everybody just sort of runs around and picks their favorite color, or picks their favorite typeface and like magic. And it's like, boom, and all of a sudden the project is done. And like, we're wearing berets and doing like, I don't know whatever people think, right? But I think a lot of people sort of think that's what the creative process is. But we know that's the farthest thing from the truth. And I think that, you know, successful teams and successful creatives are able to incorporate multiple different styles of feedback and multiple sources of truth to be able to make their work better. Because the thing is, is that if all I'm getting are these like purely subjective comments, that isn't bringing a whole lot to the table for me, right? And it's not really helping me improve my design. So for me, it's really starting to think about, I think that there are three types of feedback, all of which have pros and cons. I think that, yes, you can get what I would say is objective feedback, non-biased feedback. I would, again, this is why I tend to turn to consumers as the source of truth, because I think if you talk to enough of them in the aggregate, you will get a non-biased objective opinion about the work, because they will tell you if it works or if it doesn't. And that is what I'm looking for, is that the moment, I will argue, the moment anybody in design, in product, in engineering, anybody in the company starts to work on something, to create something, your objectivity at some level gets compromised because you are both creating and trying to be objective at the same time. The two very rarely can ever coexist in the same place. So what do we do? We try to counterbalance that with then data-based feedback. And I think that can, like some of the most successful creatives and some of my best work has been data-based, right? Like you bring that in to help improve your work, to help improve your process, to see what is working, to say how many people did click on that button, how many people dropped off the page, that is feedback too, right? Like that is actual feedback on your work. And I think that that is, for me is a better way for creatives to think about how data is incorporated, that it is a feedback point. Now, again, it should not be the be all end all. And we've talked again before about why you can go data blind if that's all you look at. Because if you think that the data is this sort of end all be all that because they're doing this, that's exactly what we have to do. Again, it is one form of feedback. And then the last one, which again, I think this is the problematic one as we think about this, is the opinion-based feedback, 
right? It is based on my experience, based on my gut. But I think that there is a place for that. Because this, and this goes, it's the quote that everybody beats to death, right? The Henry Ford quote of if he would have gone out and asked everybody whatever they wanted whenever he was making the car, he'd have made a faster horse, right? Like that was an opinion-based feedback point, right? Like we can do better. We need to come up with a different form factor. And opinion-based tends to be the innovator's feedback form, right? And I think this is where the Elon Musks and the Steve Jobs, like those people sort of screw everybody else up because they feel like they are somehow empowered in their want to have a biography written about them in the same heroic tone someday that you need to be the end-all be-all opinion. And that is just not what I think most creativity is. It is much more team-based but to think about and to look at how are you balancing these three types of feedback, right? The objective, the non-biased, that we're going to go out there and look to somebody who is not invested in this work to give us feedback on what this is. Again, research consumers tend to be a great source of this. Data, because again, there is a very clear ability to see if the page is working, what the numbers are doing. Is it increasing, decreasing? Is it going against the KPIs? All that sort of business speak MBA 101 stuff, right? Look at that. But then there's also, like I said, the ability to have that opinion based in there. It is just that no one version of this feedback can be the only one. For me, it's about bringing all three of these in there and find the balance between them. Because I think whenever you're able to do that, then you can start to find balance. You can find truth. You can find, or at least what passes for truth, in your work. Because it's whenever you get down to just one of these, you can go down the wrong path. And like I said, there are pros and cons to all of these. But for me, whenever you do it in the balance, that's whenever feedback starts to re work really well. Now, we talked before about the problem with all this is people. And a lot of it for me is, is we need to think about the tonality of how do we talk to other people. The tonality of whenever we're talking about creative work, what are we doing? And for me, it's trying to develop and think about the ability to critique impersonally, but with honesty. Focus on the work right? Don't criticize the person. And, and also, I would also kind of say, like, whenever you do this, you need to give feedback. And again, I'll go back to that word, honestly, it can't be too negative, and it can't be too positive. Because in the negative, whenever we said it's just, you know, here's all the problems becomes really demoralizing. But the, the negative or the positive part of it for me, I think can be interesting too. one of the things in a lot of different business schools, I read a lot of different articles. I think even Stewie made fun of it on an episode of Family Guy. Um, was the compliment sandwich, which is whenever I'm going to say something really positive, I'm going to put whatever the critique is in the middle, and then I'm going to finish by saying something else that's positive. So I'm going to sandwich the real critique between two positive things so you feel better about everything. I personally think this is bullshit, and I don't think it works, right? Because in, in my experience, whenever I've watched this with teams, whenever I've even tried it, there are sort of two outcomes that I think happen a lot of the times and neither ones are ones that you want. And whenever it happens, they're very hard to correct easily. The one is I think the, the person that you're giving the feedback to, they're going to fail to act on what is the criticism or the negative feedback because it just sort of gets lost in like the general positive vibe, right? Like we started with you're doing great. And then we ended with you're doing great. And like there is this thing in the middle that maybe I need to work on. So I think that understanding the magnitude of that it sort of gets lost in all of it, right? So like the percentages, and again, the, the balance is off on that. Or I think depending on, and I think, you know, there's a decent percentage of creatives that will fall victim to this is that they just sort of feel like it, you're, you're being patronizing, right? Because it's like, you're trying to sugarcoat it. Like, why can't you just tell me what the problem is? Come out and just like have the spine to say whatever the problem is and then let's deal with that. 
And that whenever you don't do that, then they just, you, they just feel like you aren't being honest or you aren't being straightforward. So that's why I said is for me, I, I believe in, in honesty. And I, I believe in approaching all this as a conversation, not as a statement. Because for me, honesty is always the foundation of everything because I still remain a really huge believer in that when I'm going to give somebody feedback, when I'm going to do something, the first thing I do is reverse the roles. That if I was the person I was going to receive this and they were the one that was going to tell me what would I want? What would I respect? What would I be okay with? What, 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 whenever this happens, would I still want to be a part of this team? And for me, the thing that I come back to is honesty. Because even when the conversation is hard, even whenever the feedback is hard, what happens at the end of the day is I will respect someone who is being honest about it. And then we can have a discussion about it as opposed to somebody that's going to BS me, somebody that's going to try to like, again, sandwich it, do all that other, like, let's just have a real conversation here. And, and maybe that's just my makeup. But for me, like I said, even in the times when I've had to get hard feedback, whenever I've had to hear things that I didn't want to, in the end, the thing that I'll come back to is that I'll respect the honesty. I'll respect the person who stood up and said it. Because then we can have a discussion that I can kind of really understand how do I want to respond to that. But a lot of this is also, I think, think as we think about impersonality, it's thinking about maybe a little more nuanced things, right? And it's impersonally, not impersonality. I don't know where the hell that came from. But for me, like part of it is to think about whenever you give criticism to do it in a passive voice. And, and some of this maybe gets a little bit nerdy and a little bit too nuanced, but I think it's important. Because I think what, what you want to do is say things like, why was it designed this way? Instead of saying something like, why did you design it this way? Because in the it, we are talking about the product. We are talking about the output of this. We're talking about the end state of something, as opposed to whenever I ask, why did you design this? Whenever I ask that, it feels much more personal. It almost feels accusatory, right? It, it feels, it, it has a very different tone to it. So I think even trying to think about using that sort of a passive and almost constructive voice of saying something like it instead of you, it's a one word difference, but it's a one word difference that I think can make a huge impact on what it is you're doing. And then the other thing I would say is like, I think that for me, it is also important to, to build somebody back up because I think the best feedback is honest. It may even be brutal, but it doesn't stop there because in many cases, I think you really want to look at for that creative what are the strengths that they have? What is, the, what is the way forward that we are going to work on this together? If it's really harsh, maybe even how we're going to work on it together. How are you going to be there for them? How do you build them back up and make them believe that they can make it better? You don't want to soften the blow that there is a problem. But at the same time, you don't want to just simply strip somebody down to their core and then just kind of go, hey, good luck, figure it out. All right. And I think this is, this is that sort of moment where that line between feedback and coaching bleeds. Because in many cases, you know, if you're somebody's peer, in many cases, you know, if you're somebody's leader, feedback is that coachable moment. It's the moment to be able to give feedback. It's that moment to be able to say, hey, look, we're in this together. Hey, here's the plan. It's the moment to be able to, again, like I said, to build somebody back up and not just leave it as, hey, here's the problem. That's the simple way. It's the, it's the lazy way. But I, in my, in the, that was the change that made the difference for me is whenever I started to think about feedback more like coaching as opposed to direction, that that just simple little change made a huge, huge difference for me. Now then, just sort of like what we did a minute ago, right? We, we had talked about kind of the, the personal part of feedback, but then we'd also kind of talked about the operational piece of it. And, and I think that there's, there's probably a moment or two here as well that, that I think is worth 
starting to think about some of the operational things of, again, what does good feedback look like? And and some of this, I don't know why, I struggled with it. Should this be a bad one? Should it be a good one? Does it sit in the middle? What do I do with it? But I think a lot of it is also sort of understanding in the moments where feedback are being given, especially in a group, to be thoughtful about how do you set that up to be successful. And there are two things in particular where, like I said, is I think it may be a bit of a negative, maybe a bit of a positive, but but there are these sort of moments where I think you need to be deliberate and thoughtful about how do you set up, like I said, the, the, the arena, the moment, the place where feedback can kind of come in and be a part of this. Now, the first one is, I think it's common, I, I see it a lot, right? That if you're in a room of, of people, you're, you're talking about a particular project, you're talking about something, a lot of the time you're going to see like two people almost sort of start to hijack the conversation. Maybe they just really want to be heard. Maybe maybe they're just the two people who talk the most. Maybe they really want to go deep on like a specific point. But the problem is whenever that happens, it's a derailer. And I think a lot of it for me is also thinking about and being deliberate about how do we sort of set up these moments? How are we deliberate in how we work? Now, again, there are similar sort of things that I've done in other shows. Whenever we talked about in the episode about the seven rules for brainstorming. This is exactly the same sort of thing. And, and honestly, I think you could take the seven rules for brainstorming and you could use them for feedback as well. But, but there's this sort of moment that we need to be able to set some ground rules. Because I think the reality is I, I don't, I'm dealing with some complicated things here, right? Like on the one hand, I don't want to make a whole bunch of changes based on what one person thinks. At the other point, I also know that feedback windows are finite because we'd said feedback comes too late, not a good thing. So knowing that this is finite, knowing that maybe I only have the team for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever this is, the clock is ticking. I can't afford the detour, can't afford the loudmouth, can't afford the person who's just showing up because they want to hear themselves talk, right? So the part of it for me is to, again, start to think about rules that if you have these sort of issues where people are dominating conversations where you're going down rabbit holes, work differently. Don't make it just an open conversation. Do things like actually have everybody go down and write down their feedback. Write down as much as you want. Write down two things, write down 200 things, right? Like whatever that is. But then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go around the room and I will use a timer. I know it may sound a little overkill, but what I want to do is I want to give each person the same amount of time to be able to talk. Maybe it's three minutes, maybe it's five minutes. But like Again, depending on whatever the room is, how deep the feedback is, whatever that is, I want to be able to give them a certain amount of time to give their feedback. And then I want to create another window for people to respond. But what I can do then is I can time box what everybody is doing. It keeps us from going down a rabbit hole because I know that at a certain amount of time, like if you want to go down one, do one piece of feedback and go down one rabbit hole for your piece of feedback, have at it. But in three minutes or five minutes, that is going to be done. You're not going to suck other people into it. This is not going to be just this road to nowhere sort of way of working. So again, there is this aspect of kind of social engineering that I think is an incredibly important part of creativity because you need to be able to think about if there are these sort of issues, how do you actually make it better? Now, another one that I see a lot, right? Like the, the, the people who dominate is definitely one problem. But the other one is whenever you just get, where you just go off topic, right? Like maybe you get bad feedback. Maybe it's just, you're getting a lot of feedback, but it's, it's not what you need. Because there are different levels, different types of, of feedback. And 
And a lot of it, like I said, some of it could be that we want data, we want evidence, we want objective, you know, maybe this is just early on, and we just want, you know, feedback on the concept, maybe this is about to be able to actually get handed over into engineering. So we need like the real finite, just tuning little feedback. But the thing is, is that don't assume that everyone knows what type of feedback you are looking for. And don't assume that they know the goals of what that meeting is. Be clear about what are you trying to achieve, right? Where are we in the process? What type of feedback are we discuss are we like expecting today? I've done this really successfully and it works really well with teams in the past that whenever they would show up to a design review, whenever they would show up to something, we would ask them to be declarative about where they are in the process and what type of feedback are they looking for? And then to do a recap of if we gave feedback last time, what was that feedback? How was it acted on? What worked and what didn't, right? Like give us a recap so that we can start there because then that gives us context. It gives us grounding. We are very clear about where we're at in this and where everyone in the room is very clear about what it is that we are there to communicate and that anything that deviates from that, you then have the ability to say, hey, remember, we said we are just looking for conceptual feedback. We are looking for fine detail feedback. We are looking for it because we are here in the process. And anything that doesn't align to that, because if I'm about to hand over to engineering, no, I don't want to have a conversation about how you think the concept is all wrong and we need to be going in a different direction. Great. Write it down. Stick it in the backlog. We'll come back to it. That's not what we're doing here in this meeting. So again, to be deliberate about the way that you work, to set context and to use recaps and to be specific about the type of feedback you want. I think that operationally, those sort of two approaches of that sort of social engineering and setting context, that will also really help you create more good feedback. Because here again, I think that there, there's this sort of trap that for too many of us, we feel like it's a problem with the individual, that that person is too egotistical. That person doesn't understand what is going on. That person, again, it's the them. But my challenge to all of you is, are you setting them up for success? Are you giving them the context? Are you giving them the grounding? Are you giving them the structure? Because then if they're going against that anyway, then yes, it is absolutely an individual problem. And then yes, that absolutely is a moment where you want to go and interact with that person and do whatever it is to try to fix it with them. But give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't just blame them for it. Look at your structure, look at what you're doing, and then act on that. Now, the last part, whenever you're actually giving feedback, there are two words that are so powerful. And I will argue that they are probably two of the least used words whenever we do work and whenever we give feedback, is that whenever you're working with people, be humble, be grateful, and say thank you. Because again, whenever we are doing this work, whenever we're doing anything creative, it's personal. It is something that people are investing time, they're investing sweat. They, like Hopefully this is something that they really care about. Just to recognize that work, to recognize the effort, to be able to say thank you goes a really long way. This is something that I personally have really struggled with in my career because for me, what I do is I'll go into a meeting and for me, great is assumed, right? Like if we're doing great work, that's where we should be. That's what the team should be doing. And for me, I had this arrogance, blind spot, stupidity, whatever the hell you want to call it, right? Where I just have that assumption that this is what it is we should be doing. And so I was grateful. I was thankful. I was happy where the team was, but all of that sat in my head. And last time I checked, nobody's psychic. Everybody has the Jedi mind trick is on the fritz. So the ability to say it out loud, to say thank you, to be appreciative, to understand what it is that they're doing and do those sort of things goes a hell of a long way to making it better for everybody. 
Now, finally, let's talk a little bit about how do you actually hear and act on that feedback then, right? Because the reality is, is that the work isn't over whenever that critique session ends. It's just not. The next step, obviously, is to address the feedback that you heard. But I think part of it is also knowing that you're not because for me, I think there's a tendency to be emotional and say like, look, I want to respond right away. I want to be able to defend my work. I want to like, you just have that sort of thing because again, this is personal, but I think it, it's really important in hearing and acting on it. And, and hearing is the first part of it because I think you need to give your brain and also candidly like your team's brain a little bit of time to absorb what got discussed. And I think, you know, and preferably only starting to address it later that day, the next day, to be able to actually be thoughtful about what this is as opposed, as opposed to just going into this like knee jerk. They said they didn't like this. I'm going to go prove that. Like, look, sometimes that works for some people, but I think you know, as a part of the creative process, the ability to give yourself time, right? Like we talked about this with confidence. And, and I think that it, it's, it's a similar sort of thing here, but to a lesser extent, you need to give yourself a moment to be emotional, right? To, to take it in, to, to see the forest for the trees and to be able to come back with fresh eyes and say, was it as good as I thought it was? What is it as bad as I thought it was? What was it really like whenever I've had a moment to breathe and just sort of let it absorb? Now, what's really key to that is to be able to capture that feedback. I think in the most basic form, what I would say is, you know, to write it down. I think just because tangibly it says something when you are in the room. It, it, is, it is a way of saying that you appreciate what the feedback is that you're getting without actually saying it in those words. But for me, the, the bigger part of it, uh, just sort of the symbology of it, is the fact that it helps you remember the details later on, right? And I think it's important that you collect all those details that you need to be able to act on. Don't just sort of take innocuous notes. I mean, one of the things that I really enjoy is also the ability to record it whether it's sticking my iPhone on the table and just hitting like an audio record so I can go back and listen to it. I found that to be incredibly helpful in some cases or the ability to take notes, to record the video call, to do something so that there's a fairly accurate record of what actually happened there. But I, I think a lot of it is also sort of understanding that whenever you go into this and, and you want to be able to hear what that is, it is to really do it with a mindset of like patience and respect. Because I, I think what, what you don't want to do is you don't want to go in and, and you don't want to be emotional about it. You don't want to try to overinterpret it. You don't want to almost sort of like contradict in your mind. And because I think the thing is, is that, look, at the end of the day, whether you agree with the feedback or not, that person has taken the time to engage with your work, right? They've showed up. Because the reality was if they truly didn't care, they wouldn't have been there, right? So for me, that there is a patience and a respect that they are due, because they showed up to be able to do that. That deserves patience and respect, but also for the fact that they are sharing their opinion. And, and for me, and sometimes this is really hard to do, even if it is an opinion that I do not agree with, there is truth and it is deserving, again, of patience and respect in the fact that it is their opinion. And I need to understand where does that opinion come from? What is driving this? What is putting this into play and making them say this? And again, I think that the ability to show up with that style of work, to be able to show up with that kind of patience and respect for what people are doing makes everything better. Because, you know, in many cases, you're then kind of showing what should good look like. But the other part of that, it's not just simply saying, like, I'm going to be patient and respectful. And, and we've talked about this multiple times, most notably whenever I did the episode on improv about active listening. 
Because for feedback to really work, right, you need to make sure that you are wholeheartedly listening and paying attention to what is being said. Much like in brainstorms, with a lot of feedback sessions, what I see is that people who are listening, not for the feedback, not sort of shorting up, showing up wholeheartedly and really trying to understand what's being said, what they're doing is they're listening for the silence so they can jump in to defend the work. Tell that other person why they're wrong. Understand and point out to them what the insight was that they have missed. Right? You're in such a rush to judgment that you're not listening. Right? Take those critical points and listen to them. Consider them. And do it with an open mind. Because, look, even if you need to absorb that feedback for a while, let people know, like, look, I need to think about that and I'm going to get back to you. If you are prone to being overly emotional, if you're prone to not taking that feedback particularly well, understand that then that is your problem. And to say, look, I need to be able to think about this. I need an hour or two. I need to come back tomorrow. Like at some point, let me think about this and let's come back and have a discussion whenever I'm going to be in a better place. Because that's the other problem with this is that, you know, whenever you respond to feedback, even if it's the right message, even if you're in the right place, but it's done in the wrong style, it still lands wrong. So again, the ability to show up and actively listen, to really try to understand, not just you know, to try to listen for the things that agree with my viewpoint or to listen to the things that I need to defend and shoot down. Again, very, very different. But I think in a lot of cases, there's also like, look, if you don't understand things, and I see this happen so many times and it's so frustrating, if you don't understand something, right? Like if, if you get a piece of feedback that makes no sense, if somebody's saying something and you think the rationale behind it is complete BS, right? Ask them to clarify it right? Get rid of that ambiguity and doubt, right? Ask for specifically, you know, something around that and to be able to get them to clarify what is going on. Because also in many cases, we may be a little bit afraid to do that because what's the worst feedback you can get? I suck. This sucks. I don't like it. I don't like the color. I don't like the typography. I don't like the way it looks. I can do nothing, nothing with any of that feedback, right? Because I don't know where to start. Don't know what it means. What don't you like? Do you really not like it? Are you just saying that? Like, so again, asking for clarification, digging past that, becomes really, really important. But I think the other part of this too is to do it in a way that isn't defensive because that's, that's why I said a, you know, a minute ago about the delivery of this message, right? Because defending something, in many cases, you know, and again, it depends on the tone, depends on the person, depends on the team. This isn't always an absolute. But in many cases, that defense will come across as adversarial, right? Shuts down that further discussion. And as opposed to asking somebody to explain something, right? Asking for that clarification. That is something that is much more neutral. It leads to discussion. It leads to mutual understanding. Those are the things that we want, right? I, I don't want this sort of pissing match about who's right, right? We've talked so many other episodes that hopefully you're lip syncing along at this point about why being right is all wrong, right? That That's just not something you can do. And I think a lot of it then also is to just, you know, to to really go out and try to Make some changes, right? And to try to get more feedback. Because I'll also see a lot of a lot of creatives, and again, this is the problem where this is an us problem, not a them problem, where we don't want the criticism. We want our perfect little baby, this this amazing little thing that we've created to somehow live on intact and unaltered, and for everybody to say that it's beautiful and fantastic and perfect, and everybody's going to love it, and that's really the case, and that is not the how this, this world works, right? So what do we do? Whenever we feel that way, whenever we have this perfect little like thing that we've created, we don't want anybody to talk bad about it. But it needs to be the opposite, right? Try to break your ideas. Go out there. Iterate on it. Try to find more critiques. Find more feedback. Find ways of like getting the team to find the weak spots in it. That's where the best work comes from, is in those moments where you're able to have that honest conversation about what's going on there. But 
a lot of this, right? Like just to put a bow on all this. A lot of this is is sort of what I've said a, about a lot of this is that it's not these big surface issues, right? That, that's why with so many of these shows, it never is the big obvious thing that you think. And in this case, for me, it's really important to be deliberate about a couple really important things. Because at the end of the day, the, the best feedback, the most useful feedback is going to come from somebody that I trust. Because people who care about their team, people who care about each other, people who are showing up and saying this could be better and, hey, here's a way to be able to do that, or this is what the problem is, or like whatever that is, right? Trust is the real byproduct of great feedback, right? And people I don't trust tends to be the byproduct of bad feedback. It's the foundational thing that sits underneath all of this. It's the thing that goes unspoken, unseen, and in many cases not understood, that, you know, so much about feedback is about trust. If it is an opinion that I trust, if it's somebody that I trust, because like, again, if you think about that right now, about whenever I get feedback from people, who are the people I love to get it from? Who are the people I really respect whenever they give it to me? The next thing you're going to think of is that is somebody who I really trust. And that oftentimes the people who give you the bad feedback, it's the executive that you're never around. So you don't trust them. It's the leader who doesn't really understand what's going on. So you don't trust them. It's the person who comes in and tries to be in charge and wants to be able to give this big sweeping feedback. Don't trust them. It's the foundation that sits underneath all of this. And so being deliberate and try and talking about it, I think it becomes a really important part of that. But a lot of that is also then the ability for you to develop understanding, right? And it's, I hit on this before, right? I think it's really important that you need to understand where other people are coming from. Don't be blinded by your own arrogance and your own opinion that because I think this, I did this, I created it, so it must be right. And that anyone else who doesn't agree with this is wrong. Because again, now you are the person that the other person has no reason to trust. Because if that's going to be your opinion that either you, you, know, you completely agree with me or I don't want to hear from you, don't trust that person. Because you know, there's no understanding there. But a lot of it for me is also how do you create structures? Because I think you know, with all this stuff, there's an operationalization. You need to operationalize. There we go. Woo! Like you need to operationalize. It's been a really long day. You need to be able to operationalize some of these things. And part of it is also, what do you do if two different opinions are conflicting or there's conflicting feedback, right? What do you do? Most teams that I go to, most teams that I talk with don't have an answer to that question. And that is a huge problem because whenever the discussion gets too personal, like coming up with a way to be able to solve that, to be able to think about that, some way to have a source of truth for that becomes really, really important. And what I'll tell you is that in my experience, Having some like, I don't know what, punching contest about which one of us is right or trying to see which one of us can interpret our persona to make it make the most sense is not the way to do it, right? You need a source of truth. And again, for me, this is why going back to customers is such a big part of this because if you put it in front of somebody and they say, yes, I like it or no, I don't, it's not about who's right. It's about what does the customer want. And that realignment on that feedback becomes incredibly valuable. But a lot of it is also, look, if you're the one who's giving feedback, Take the time to get feedback on your feedback. Whenever you get to the end of a meeting, whenever you've talked about a bunch of stuff, go around to people afterwards and say, was that useful? Again, do a start, stop, continue. Do something on it to say, hey, was that good? What could I do better? And, and that's why I said, because for me, looking at feedback more as coaching than feedback in the fact that I need to coach other people and they need to coach me, the mindset and the underpinning on that works way, way better then if it's much more about leadership and feedback and those sort of things that tend to lead to more finite discussions. 
And so again, I think if you can go into it that mindset, that you're there to help give somebody some feedback and then to help coach them, to help build them up, to send them off more empowered and better than whenever they walked in. That's the definition of great feedback. So as always, hopefully you like the show, right? So, you know, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, head over to thecrazyone.com. There, there'll be the complete show notes for this episode, you know, other articles, things like that. It's always the crazy one and the crazy one and the number one.com to be able to look at that. Like I said, you got more questions. There are other things you want to talk about. Follow me on social media. You can like the show on Facebook, all that sort of stuff. As always, everybody in Down and Legal wants me to remind you that the views here are just my own. They don't represent any of my current or former employers. And finally, I say it every time because I mean it every time, but I know that time is truly the only real luxury any of us have, and I'm always incredibly, incredibly humbled you want to spend any of it with me. So go out. Give people some feedback. Build some trust. Develop a little bit of understanding. Try to make things better than, than where you've left them. And really understand how critical that feedback is. And as always, while you're doing it, Stay crazy.